Zane Lowe, Apple Music. This is the Zane Lowe podcast interview series. I am Hanuman, and uh, we are about to press play on an incredibly important interview. This is from one of those bands that has sort of defined and redefined sound uh, over the last four decades that they've been together. Of course, I'm talking about Depeche Mode. If you were lucky enough to be in Los Angeles uh, earlier this week to catch them uh, absolutely destroy at the forum, it was one for the history books. I'm telling you, if you are in a band and you have ever picked up at the synthesizer, you owe Depeche Mode uh, a, a debt of gratitude. Martin Gore and Dave Gahan joins Zane Lowe to talk about the new album Memento Mori and where they sit in their legacy. Gentlemen, um, I'm not normally lost for words. It's sort of my job is to find the right words and they will come. This will not be an entirely awkward experience. <laughs> but I, I have to apologize at the beginning because there's no other way around it. And I've told you this. There really are very, very few people who have expressed themselves through art that have um, had as big an impact on my life as the two of you and your friends have had. And so to be able to talk to you at this point in my life, to be even be still here on this planet long enough for our paths to finally cross, is just absolutely huge for me on a personal level. And, and we're going to share this with the world and hopefully they'll enjoy it and I'll do right by Depeche Mode fans because I am one. Well, that's very <laughs> flattering. Thank yes, you very thank much. You. What an introduction. Well, I had to start <laughs> personally and say thank you. Um, you know, your music came along, I think for all of us, when we needed it. I think of Depeche Mode as, as something that happens to people when you need it. It never felt like a tourist experience. Like, oh, I just stumbled across a Depeche Mode song. Maybe a little bit later when the hits started to really happen and the radio really started to support. But, but, but you were already a big and successful band, Martin. You already had a huge audience at that point. You were playing arenas and stadiums and heading that direction. So does that make sense, that, that opening statement that there's a necessity to what you make and a necessity for why we listen? That is a, a very good question. You know, we've always felt, I mean, we've always been passionate, obviously, about making music. You know, that is the, the, the ultimate thing. And I think we've always stood behind what we, what we make. And we've tried to, like, you know, evolve as we went along. I mean, obviously, with the first album, I think I, I consider that as being a different band. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously, Vince was in the band. Yeah. He wrote most of the songs. And then the second album, I was kind of thrown into the hot seat and, yeah. you, know, you know, now you do it. So I don't kind of really count those albums. And it was only from kind of construction time again, really. You know, things it, started it, it, to find the, 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 their path. It's like album number one, all the house lights are on and then you got to adjust the lighting. That's how, <laughs> that's yeah. how I think of it. You know, like you got to create the moods of each room and sometimes they were pitch black. You know, that first record, yeah. Yeah, Martin's, I, I totally agree with what Martin said really about and it, it we were so young as well but when we, we look back on that now it's kind of amazing what we achieved in that first five years those songs for instance that first record you know when vince was writing all mm. the songs pretty much apart from a couple that martin would write we were we were playing those songs that's how we kind of formed together and that's how we we were already in clubs in England and trying to go other places as well mm. before we even made that record, that first record. So when we went in to record it, luckily with the help uh, of Daniel Miller, who produced the record and bought a couple of pieces of, of gear that we, that we used relentlessly on that record. Um, <laughs> God, he's been I, a patron forever, hasn't he? Just the yeah, I mean, Daniel, and he's still, he's still yeah. here with us and he's still, we still regard him, with, he has the, in the highest regard yeah. for everything he does and has done for us. Um, without him, we most definitely would not have survived those early years. Um, yeah. um, he helped us to 
sort of be uh, have the courage and also um, the ability to grow. Isn't it true that he never asked you to sign a contract? Yeah, we we uh, we shook hands with him um, and agreed to make a one-off single. And I don't even think we had a discussion after that when it came to the second single <laughs> or the album. <laughs> it was just if he would take us into the studio and we just, yeah, we went from one. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think we actually signed anything with Mew until Mew. Until um, Daniel sold Mew to yeah, EMI. To EMI yeah. Which was probably late. 2001, I think. 2001. Wow, so you got 20 years in this mm, utopian mm-hmm. record industry, <laughs> which is how it probably should it's, have been from day one. Yeah, it's not. And, and you know what? It's crazy. That, is, that in itself, I believe, has been quite a big influence on a lot of, a lot of other artists, which we also are very mm. flattered by. But they talk about us as being, you know, sort of influences in, in what they do. Um, and I think a lot of it is also that, identity of a, of a band that built something really from scratch in their own way mm. with someone's help with Daniel's help but we there wasn't any big well we did sign a, a, a record deal with an American record company mm. which was a terrible idea at the time <laughs> but we were too young too naive to know what we were signing this seven album sort of yeah because you've been living in complete isolation <laughs> metaphorically speaking and then were asked to go and move into the big city it's like a bad film <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah and you know we were lucky with Daniel because you know we we trusted him and we didn't trust anybody we yeah. were these young kids from Essex and yeah. Um, everybody seemed to be like, you know, we're, we're going to rip us off in some way or, you know, didn't understand us or whatever. But we had each other. Yeah. And Daniel and Daniel had a few uh, records out on his label, Mute, that we really liked and really respected. The normal, of course, who was Daniel Miller. And then there was Fad Gadget. Mm-hmm. And so we looked up to him and he didn't really ever guide us in the wrong way I don't think yeah no you know I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who I'm sure you know because he's one of your biggest fans on the planet and he's done well for himself Guy O'Siri and I was Mm. talking to him yesterday um, because you're the reason why I didn't go and hang out with at his house last night because I was like there's no fucking way I'm staying out till (laughs) 2 in the morning when I'm talking to my heroes tomorrow I'm getting my rest and he got that immediately and, and he said, can you ask a question for me? I said, absolutely. And he said, you know, what were the bands? And this is the perfect time to bring it up because you were talking about absorbing the people who inspired you and helping that to define your identity. Who were the bands that ultimately, and I've never even really asked this or thought about this, hmm. that kind of put Depeche Mode together before you actually had your own blueprint? Martin's exposed me to a lot of different music over the years. And, um, but I think initially we we both we both were huge Bowie fans. Mm. Um, and a lot of glam. Which we one? came out of glam, you know, T Rex, Craftwork. <laughs> yeah. When Craftwork came along, they were a huge influence. Mm. We were going to clubs and listening to music, Roxy Music, all that kind of stuff. And I like the Stones too. I, was I, like, say, I like Jagger, the movement. You know, um, yeah. and I like that. I like their badness. You know, when I say badness, I mean they, mm. they were they were the villains. Yeah, <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I've always listened to all kinds of music. And I think, you know, as a songwriter, it's, it, it's important to be aware of mm. everything that's out there. You know, not, not, you know, if you're an electronic musician, mm. you shouldn't just listen to electronic music. Mm. You know, it's interesting to like, you know, I, you know, I like things like Kurt Vile, for instance, and, you know, like the chords, like weird chords. Oh, that's always been very important to me. And I'm really into words. So, yeah. 
So, you know, I, you know, I like, obviously I like people like Bob Dylan and, um, I mean, I used to like Neil Young a lot. I still, mm. I still like Neil I love Young. Neil I Young. Yeah. still like Neil Same. Young. And that yeah. makes sense. I mean, I mentioned a couple of songs before that obviously become real staples of the live show. And I mean, you put on an album like Black Celebration for a start, that album scared the shit out of me. Um, as soon as it began, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be taken somewhere really heavy. <laughs> and, but then there's a song called Sometimes in that album, which is just, um, one of the most, I, I think for its time and today, one of the most astute observations about um, being kind to yourself when, uh, when you're at potentially at your most vulnerable, anxious, or out of balance. And that song is powerful. And so when you talk about songwriters like that, that's what I hear is this desire to write a flawless emotional narrative. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it was very short and... Mm. Um, and it, and I think when the album came out, people like uh, didn't like it very much. It was apparently very uh, you know obvious or I something, and song. not very. And it, but to me, I always really liked it. It was just like something really uh, short and simple, but to the point. Mm. Yeah, and it's also it's <laughs> I like that too. It's the yeah. perfect moment to be able to turn around and say to somebody, you know you've been in my shoes like it was this it's an it's a to me it's a very emotionally intelligent moment you know that's yeah that yeah well, I some of the it, greatest yeah. songs you know from like people like bob marley or, or john yeah. lennon or the simplicity of them is what really stays with you yeah forever yeah over complicating things and sometimes it's necessary to you know throw the whole kitchen sink in there and everything when yeah. you when you're making music but sometimes it's just stripping everything more things away which we making this record martin and i were yeah. very kind of uh aware of the fact that it was it, not to over clutter everything or over complicate things like if we had we had a great team with with james ford and marta salongi mm. um it's just you know in the end just the four of us um it worked out really well, and they were they were on the same page with us as well, trying to uh, almost I don't know it was declutter. Yeah, declutter. We call it declutter it's the like yeah. declutter the, the the thing. But it's like everything that you've every tool in the box that you've found and mastered along the way is sort of on display here. Like it starts with the densest, most hmm. like terrifying landscape <laughs> <laughs> with this sort of very hymnal Dave vocal which you're very very good at offsetting what I think is things starting to decay you glue yeah, them, it really worked you the, glue uh, them together yeah. with this idea of communication and gen it's mm. gentle really mm -hmm. and it's almost meditative like I, I said you've been putting the mantra in music for a long time and my cosmos is mine you could say that over and over again for five minutes and it would actually not be a, a collection of words it's it's almost a mantra that. My it's actually one of my favourites on the, on the al album, and not initially when Martin first sent me the demo, but it didn't strike me. But some, some, quite often, it's the ones that creep up on me later that yeah. I become I most identify with for some reason. Mm. And that song was one of those. I remember singing it. I remember going into in Martin's house and um, in his studio. Um, and I knew we were capturing, we had captured something, the combination of that, the song, and I found a place where I wanted to be with it. And um, I, f I feel like I found a, um, a meaning in the song that I identified with. And yeah. I don't often, and it's not something I talk to Martin about. I mean, he might have a completely different concept about the lyrical content of the, of the, of the song, but I found my place with that song. I knew it was going to be the uh, something that was going to... Um, be a great introduction to Memento Mori. 
the two of you have that very timeless dynamic but that, that comes along once in a while of a, of a great writer and a great performer and then you're a great writer and have developed that muscle. It's and coming. <laughs> it ne- it's never going to arrive. That, that doesn't it exist. is what it is. It is <laughs> what it is. I mean, yeah. No one ever arrives at a place like that. Yeah. But it, it, I'm interested in how the dynamic sits today versus at different points in Depeche Mode's journey. I, I think as a fan, it's probably safe to say that there's times it's probably been challenging for you singing other people's songs so much, and there's times it's challenging for you trying to translate them into an environment where they can actually reach their potential. That's tough. It's tough. It's like it's kind of it's built out of friction. And I wonder, I don't hear that on this album. I hear mm. real symbiosis here between the two of you, Martin. Mm. I don't think that me and Dave have ever had real big problems or issues. When Dave first decided to start writing songs around 2005 with playing the angel mm-hmm. for for Depeche yeah, yeah for, for yeah. Depeche that was I mean obviously that was a, a, an adjustment for me so I had to kind of get used to that mm. which you know I mean I, I wasn't like you're, you're not doing that you know it wasn't it's more the fact we didn't talk about it was was I found yeah. difficult but Martin yeah. I knew it was going to be a challenge and I knew also this is something Martin had done for he'd, he'd paid his dues this is what he does and this is what he does for the band. Yeah. And that, that identity is very important. I understood that. But uh, I also had this, you know, stirring in me that I had to feel like we were somehow, that I was being also accepted and, yeah. you know, helped and, you know, part of that Because isn't this process. as much about I, the I, learning I, as much as what, it is the achievement? Aren't you trying I, to just I couldn't. Yeah. I'd started moving forward with writing some songs and putting them out and... Um, whatever you think about that. And for me, to continue to be creative um, and learn and mm. uh, grow, I had to work in a place, whether with Martin or on my own or with whoever else, where that was being... Um, Satisfied. Yeah, or it's some, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think over the years, I only could speak from my perspective, but I, I kind of probably got that became too important to me rather than looking at the big picture of what Depeche Mode is. Mm. It became, in a way, too. I was too fixated on like, well, how many songs can I have on the record? Mm. Well, how many are, mm. are you listening? Are you going to help? You know, and all these that we, that we didn't really talk about, but like that's so once that became like an obsession for me yeah. and in my, my nature, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, beca- that gets in the way of creativity too. So... You know, in a way, because once, you're not serving the altar of the song entirely, you're almost serving your own purpose in uh, relation to exactly, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had to fi- find a place to be able to still be part of that, but to go, okay, th- but there's a limit. And, and with this record, we we kind of made that agreement together before we started the yeah. record. Yeah, and I had a few songs that I kind of really wanted to be part of it, and and Martin really helped me to, you know, elevate them. Yeah, we worked on a couple of songs together. One's mm. obviously on the album, mm. and there's another song that, that will be coming out later. We actually recorded 16 songs for this album, mm. And, mm. Um, and, and it was very difficult to actually choose the 12 that made it. Mm. So we have these four, unlo- which is very unlike us, kind of in a very, very small 
vote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which will finish yeah. the mix which, and everything. Yeah, they're yeah. all ready to go. So they doesn't matter how many all... songs are in the vault, Martin, as long as they're great. <laughs> we don't often have anything in the vault. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying <laughs> to be kind <laughs> here. <laughs> you know, you know, no one's looking at Depeche Mode for Prince you know, level, you know what I mean? That's cool. Our vault's like a, a thumb drive. <laughs> 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 it's not even a big one. It's a 16. <laughs> it's it's like, a 16er. Yeah, it's a 16 No, we, well, that's too much, though. 12 is all Almost oh, it's too an eight gigger! You know. It's an eight gigger! <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the, it's the first generation iPod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hundred songs. I, I still have that thing. <laughs> yeah, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Um, and yet, you know, I I hear songs on this album, and sometimes I just I I, I don't know who's writing what or doing what because again, the relationship is so unified between the two of you over so long. I think of a song like "Speak to Me." Sorry to go in heavy early. I know we've got a, a bit of a journey on this. Um, and again, you know, I, I listened to the words very carefully in Depeche Mode songs. And this one to me just was a very descriptive song. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of searching for salvation and searching for something that's beyond your own control to find out what your purpose is. But the beauty of this is that I hear you find it at the end. And I just wanted to stop at this moment and talk about the end of the album, at least this point, um, and what that song means to you. Because I could be really trite. And be really, and be really sort of, and, and apply this song to a very specific point in your life, mm. lying on the bathroom floor, very specific things. Mm. Well, they're, they're sort of metaphors, but like that's what I mean. I yeah, want you to put it into context. Um, the loneliness, the emptiness, the void, mm. the wanting to be with with people and life, and, and at the same time not wanting to be. It's always been a thing, but like the song should be uplifting. It's a hymn. Yeah. Uh, well, it's weird because, you know, initially the idea sort of came to me um, and the song was incredibly elevated by Martin mm. and, and James and Marta Salongi to a, a, into a different place, to another world, somewhere else. Yeah. And that's exactly where I wanted the song to go as mm. well. And it was, it was beyond what I could have really put together myself. It was quite, it was quite a very simple song. Um, mm. But honest yeah. and and real, you know. For me, um, it was it was a, a key and that opened the door for me to want to continue to make a record with Martin mm. uh, again. Uh, that was a Depeche Mode record. It was like an answer. It was like an answer to that question for me. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, it really does. It's profoundly moving. Um, when I listen to it. The last words of the album, you know, I, f- I, f- I found it, you know, yeah. I found it. Well, <laughs> sort of a bit, bit, a bit sarcastic, you know, I, I'm, you know, I hear you, you know, I'm, 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 I'm here, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm found or whatever, you know, it's ah. just, uh, it's a bit sarcastic, but at the same time, it's all, there's a, there's a, an absolute peace and joy in the emptiness of the end. <sighs> and then you go to, and oh. then you go to work. Sorry. And you take us somewhere at the end of that song, which to your point, the slow foreboding yeah. building of energy. Mm-hmm. Not sound, energy. It's like a, a slow techno track or something, like that really heavy pounding techno track. 
Yeah, but with a dynamic that is such a slow roll, you don't even realize that you're like at the peak of the night until you cut mm. it off. It yeah. doesn't arrive. It no. finds you over time. And it was awesome when that happened in the studio, actually, because we were playing. Marta, Marta's like, she's a genius with a, a tape looping and, yeah. and sending stuff back into the tape machines and then, and then, and then all this process of um, using analog tape to... Uh, create these loops we just came to the conclusion that it should just end i think it's the perfect bookmark to that with my cosmos is mine which sets up everything mm. and and speak to me sort of petitioning <laughs> something and then the journey in between the two because yeah. you know yeah. we, we do spend quite a lot of time working on the, the running order yeah, just yeah, to make sequence. sure because it's fun because yeah. it's the most yeah. maddening fun thing ever yeah. it's like no, a because, movie no you know? because we're yeah. old yeah. <laughs> because we come from the generation of albums. I, yeah. have, I, have good, I, I have good news for all of us at the table today who are now on the good ship age, <laughs> HMS age. Uh, the kids care. They do care about that. They do. I know because I've got a couple in my house. The that, kids care. They care. They do. They care about order of things. They care. We are getting it wrong by consistently yeah. thinking that we understand them mm. and that our way of recognizing what they consider valuable is on TikTok. I'm on TikTok. <laughs> TikTok's wicked fun. But that's not why kids in the arts at the highest level are making art. People making content on TikTok are not making art at the highest level. The ones making art at the highest level still care about what's track six and why. They do. Yes. They do. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree yeah. too. You know, yeah, but you know why album's never going to die? Because you need to make it. Not because someone needs to distribute it in a format or monetize it, but because you need to say something in 12 songs that makes life seem acceptable. Yeah, and it, you are still yeah. making art. You know, you're making, it's music and it's art and it's something that is otherworldly and can be in, incredibly informing. Uh, without without it, I don't know where I would be. I don't know where I, I would be. Yeah, I don't you know, know. I mean, we know this. Right? You know, no, none of us. We're, we're, yeah. We'd, uh... It is a life in servitude, but it has such purpose. And the sharing is the trade, and the trade is the greatest part of all of it. I know why track number nine is people are good because you're thinking of it in terms of two sides of vinyl. Also sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one's sarcastic. You didn't pull the wool on that one. The lyrics are far more, so, yeah, far more overt there in a, in a great way. But again, you know, there is this desire through your writing and through music to try to understand why we do the things we do. I think that's the biggest question through Depeche Mode's 40 years to me is why, right? Why do we do these things? Why do we treat people the way we treat them? I don't understand. You asked mm. that question very early on. Help that's, me understand. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, I was thinking about this recently and, you know, I think that the, the main thing that I've been doing since the band started is, or since I took over writing, really, is, is I've been a communicator. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great thing to be able to do to you know just sit in your room write some words down put them to music and then they they go out all around the world and people listen to them and they they understand you but can i be really granular for a second and ask that question when you're writing people are people what are you going through that makes you want to ask the question help me understand why we are like we are to each other it's a big question mm. not my question your question by yeah. the way just to be really clear what you're asking there was a lot of stuff going on at that time. There always is. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's even more going on today. You know, things don't change that much. Mm. People. Don't yeah, change. people yeah. don't yeah. change yeah. that much, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. No, we're stuck in a loop. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Just before that, I mean, you know, because we, were, we came from a, 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 you know, although it was quite a lot of people lived in our hometown, it was mm. still considered a very small town, very small town mentality. Mm. 
and we traveled a lot you know w w during the first years of the band and we saw a lot more and so i think that just opened us up to so many th things that were happening in the world mm. and that's that's yeah. kind of where that that song came from it's a competitive it's so interesting you know <laughs> i just had never at that age in my life i'm like I'm in a socioeconomic meltdown trying to figure out what that song means. And I'm a kid and I don't understand who puts food on the table, where it comes from or what's happening. Well, it was put and the backdrop, of course, is is very pop as well. It's yeah, very, you know, it it's, it's like it was a danceable, you know, sing along, you know, thing that we were doing a lot at that time. Um, but creeping in there all, always and getting away with it as getting well were these subversive, <laughs> like, you know, the political... grabbing yeah. hands, <laughs> grab all they can. Yeah. Who uh, can makes a chorus out of yeah. that? Uh, and sells records. I mean, we got, we got, we did get a lot of criticism, um, especially, you know, uh, but, um, at the same time we got weird, you know, we got weird things. Like I remember around that time, we're putting out records and we had sort of, uh, some journalists, uh, some guy from from the NME. Oh yeah, and 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 it was suddenly we were like the, the communist band or like yeah. the, the <laughs> socialist, you know. So we were the uh, conscience, and uh, we were just you know twenty five year olds like trying to find yeah, navigate bash, our, yeah. navigate our own hitting way. big pipes of steel with yeah. a stick, trying to figure yeah. out how to make things sound yeah. rough. I think it was more Martin was just very aware of like we we were traveling. A lot. We were seeing different things. We yeah. were going to different parts of the world. We yeah. were realizing it was a bigger world than we lived in, and that was just that was finding its way on into the music. You know, um, it it became such such a strange reality to watch this this band that we all sort of loved in, in New Zealand. I mean, it was like I didn't know many people who were. I mean, I'm sure we were around each other, but we I, they weren't in my social group, right? I, I felt like a weirdo for loving Depeche Mode. You know what I mean? In the best yeah, way possible. It's not something you spoke about to people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then the yeah, next thing you know, it's like you know you. I feel like you know you were one of the first bands that backed yourself to come to the people on a large level and present the show, the show. Like on paper, Depeche Mode shouldn't have been a Rose Bowl band. Like it wasn't like that was reserved for the Titans, the older <laughs> band. You know what I mean? And yet you came out. And once you did that, I feel like you, this is the, honestly the truth. I really feel like you opened the door for people to take a little more control over how they, how they want to be perceived versus how other people control that perception. I feel like if Depeche Mode said, no, we are that good and we're that big and we're going to show it. Maybe well, yeah, yeah. We, we were, you yeah. know, we we're probably talked into that more than anything else. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, people said to us, things have changed in America. You know, the, the, the alternative market is now huge. You can play the Rose Bowl. <laughs> we always wanted to end something like with a special show or yeah. something. And yeah, maybe it was presented to us this idea that, that you one. could do, come back to California and do a big show, you know. We did New York as well, didn't we? we yeah. Did the, what did we do? Well, we did. We didn't do. I think the Rose Bowl was the first big. Yeah, but we didn't do that till to the next tour. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think we did that till Violator. Oh, maybe. Um, and then we did a couple of Dodgers then as yeah. well. Yeah. But the Rose Bowl was the. It changed the perception. Yes. Of the band. Yes. And we weren't <laughs> totally. really that. We weren't really a stadium band. But all of a sudden, you know. Uh, the media and everything jumped on this idea that we were this huge 
we were we were certainly doing much better than we ever had, and we were playing to maybe sort of fifteen, twenty thousand people a night. But the Rose Bowl was like yeah. seventy thousand people or something. The reason I bring it up is because <laughs> yeah. it's because I recognize that as a fan. Like, wow, that's it. Like, forget it. They're like stadium level now. And I wonder. I always wonder how that. We we're not prepared. Yeah, we were not, I wondered we how you prepared. felt about that because <laughs> yeah. because the band were always you were always unified as the musical com- arrangement and element of of the band. But if you watch some of those shows around that time, man, you are on your own. You're out front. In some <laughs> no, cases, it, lower. It was it, it was weird, and it, you know, but but that's what I knew. That's that's how I knew to perform, and it probably made me a better performer because I knew I had to, there was something about filling up the space. I was on my own. So I was fighting for connection. Yeah. So that constant uh, connection with, with fans, with the audience, with the people that were listening to our music. And I felt that connection. uh, It was tangible. So I hung on to that and I learned how to then bring that onto the stage and and feel like you're unified. So those moments when that really does happen, when you're performing, and there's this unif- you're all together. That still to this day gives me hope that maybe we're wrong. It is gonna it is all gonna get better, and we can all be together, and we can stand side by side, and we can make change happen, and accept each other, mm-hmm. and be loving to each other, and all those things. I actually do believe in those moments. You know, once I'm off stage and I get back yeah. in the hotel room, you know. Uh, and you start doom scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> Order a club sandwich <laughs> and pass out with it on your lap, you know, at some point. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> it was all going holistically beautiful yeah, into a room 603 yeah. at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah, that's, that's, and that reality then kicks yeah. back Hello, in. room service. Oh, you might with... switch on the news and there's some guy with the orange phone talking about running the world but it's, so, it's <laughs> very true it's not it's not it's funny though because I, I wonder whether as a fan again i i always wonder whether violator came around at the perfect time for the band and the worst time for you because it was the album that outright needed you i think it was like those songs all of a sudden they were they were kind of there for a real front man to take and reach the sixty thousandth person at the back, right? Well, I'd done. We, you it know, was like Rockstar One Hundred One. That album. we had done our we had done our apprenticeship. You know, we had done we had paid our dues. Yeah, we we're like ten years in almost. Yeah, yeah ten years. Ten in. years in. Yeah, and you know, it really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it changed everything because we had. You know, we'd never sold that many records and played to that many people. And everything took off. So, yeah, everything, to say say that everything didn't change or it would be a lie, everything did change. The perception of the band, the pressure on Martin, yep. you know, the pressure on me as yep. a front guy, everything changed um, uh, around that time. And I think that's why probably when we went in to record Songs of Faith and Devotion with Flood producing, mm. he and he was very... You know, he was like, we have to make a completely different record. You know, try to try to take everything away from what we know as being Depeche Mode, what you guys, and, 
And, you know, you're going to come back round. You start at 12 o'clock. You're going to go all the way round. You move away. But you're going to come back round to 12 o'clock anyway because that's who you are. But let's take a journey and try and do something really different. And I think we did. We managed to do that, which was unexpected um, and also of a, an incredibly difficult time for the band probably. You know, we were... We'd reached a point where, uh, you know, things, the wheels were starting to come off. You know, I think that we're at a point now in, in, in this particular conversation, the one we're having and the one that's been had for 50 years where we try to understand the arts and the artists a little bit better and get inside the psychology and what motivates the expression, you know. Um, my first run for 20 years was just kind of talking about drum sounds because no one wanted to talk any deeper and I didn't have the tools to do it. But I think we're here now and I think we can start to identify some really interesting subject matter, which for me with you is what is it from your experience and only your experience that finds a group of individuals who clearly care about each other and understand the value of what you have together in a situation where success, hard-earned, is finally here and yet there is this self-destructive inclination. It's human nature, you know. Um, Our personalities are pretty. Yeah, I mean, similar it, in that way. I mean, we we we've done a lot of work, and I'm I'm just going to go back to the the Rose Bowl um, thing just for a second, just because I was talking to Daniel Miller about this recently. You know, we we were literally playing at the Bridge House Canning Town in 1981, <laughs> and then we were seven years later. We're playing at the Rose Bowl. And in yeah. those years, like, you know, we put an album out every year. <clears throat> yeah. You know who else did that? The Beatles. And they broke up straight away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and you understand why. Because it, it, it was just, it become, you know, it's like this monster that you didn't realize you were building. And yeah. suddenly the monster is controlling you. And, you know, you have to, you don't know that at the time, at though. At the time. You're just, you're just, it's a big whirlwind. And, uh, is that but, how you felt as well? Yeah. I mean, it, I think that the uh, you know the success of Violator obviously you know, did put extra pressure on us. I felt like incredible pressure to come up with a, a bunch of songs that could match that mm. with songs of faith and devotion. Mm. And I think that you know probably started me like drinking a bit more. Mm. Um, and then Dave went down his own paths at that time. And, and and also you know maybe there's there's something about you know I think there is a this fallacy that we all have that drugs and drink make us more creative. You know, it was, it's very easy to fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. um, it's a pattern that you, first it's to escape versus to sort of have fun or to f have your own time. It's like, it's my time. Yeah. This is my, this is my stuff. This yeah. is what I do for myself now. Control. You can't come in. Yeah. My cosmos is mine. My cosmos is mine. <laughs> right. And, but, of course, it's self-destructive. That was there was always there was always the for me uh, with with certain drugs. It, it, I w I wanted to feel again just same thing a part of something. Um, so it enabled me to feel like I belonged to something, uh, and then, until it didn't, and then you're just alone. You know, and I think it's it's the same thing, booze, drugs, whatever. Yeah. You know, you you reach a point where it's just you, you certainly can't get any more of it in your system. Yeah. <laughs> without <laughs> without something terrible happening. Yeah. And for those around you as well. But you know, 
there is a belief in the beginning. You know, I I I had the same thing. There was there was a sort of belief that there was part of the character I was creating. There it is. It's that identity thing you know, again, right? You know, yeah, we start to build like, identities out of trauma, and it becomes a, a form of survival. And the next thing you know, we with the best of intentions, are telling you we love you en masse, and that identity needs to be fed. And that, I, I call it distraction by self-destruction because you just kind of get away from what you've built in a way, man. But that concept but that, is terrifying too, yeah. I think. But I, I would also say there's an element of the, like you were talking about loving the Rolling Stones, the bad boy thing. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think we all fall into that trap as well, thinking yeah. that it's cool to be bad boys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It, was, know, it was yeah. the cool Here comes part. Basildon. You know, now yeah, here they come but it most people aren't cut out for that either yeah. i got to tell you that it's like it's not easy playing that game yeah. and it, yeah. to to it, and then to show up and uh with it all and you can't do it after a while in the end you just don't show up anymore and that's yeah. it yeah it's interesting watching i watched two performances of never let me down again as part of a wider amount of music i was watching on the weekend just getting so excited we were going to talk i watched the one from from anton's movie mm -hmm. 93 Three, maybe? Yeah. Songs of Faith and Devotion. So you're, so Devotional. You're, yeah, so according to the timeline, and you know better than I do, yeah. you're in it. You're in it. <laughs> and and then I watched in 2009 in Barcelona. Uh-huh. Totally and different. Yeah. they're totally different. Yeah. The crowd's doing the same thing. But you, the way you respond to it, if I may say, is so different. You, in 1993, it was like you were holding on to the crowd for dear life. In 2009, you're letting go. Yes. I don't know when that happened, but I certainly couldn't hold on. It wasn't going to be enough for me to sustain what was happening around that time, 90, end of 93, 94. Yeah. I couldn't hold that position anymore. The wheels fell off. Um, but, uh, you know, in, and then 2009, you know, in those different, to me now, it's much more of a, a joyful celebration yeah. of us all coming together yeah. um, uh, uh, instead of this like pained, you know, expression of. And the songs of, must of feel emptiness. different to you. The songs <laughs> must feel different to you. That song well, in do, particular. They always change. It must, yeah, it must, when they you play that change. now, it must be such a different emotional. I love that song. I love performing that song. I love, I, I, it doesn't get old to me. Oh. Um, it changes all the time. Oh. Um, and you're right. Songs change all the time depending on what's going on in your life. And the more you experience in life, um, a good song will. Um, will carry you through in different things, different times, emotions, feelings. It's just memories, you I know. know. Songs are memories. They you are, know, they, they are, they are. <laughs> and they become ours. And then I was saying to someone the other day, the impact that art has can't actually be quantified. And we've done a really good job of trying. And boy, <laughs> has it become a numbers game. It's, hard, it's really painful for me to think that my, my least favorite subject that I was worst at in school now drives the thing I love the most, which is math. I'm like, <laughs> I can hate math, yeah. and yet I'm I am in the math, right? Um, mm. But it can't, you can't quantify it because I've lost count of the amount of times that I've shared my Depeche Mode experiences with others who may or may not decide to share theirs, and so on and so on. It saves lives. It saved your life, really, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the music. It's in the music. It's in the sometimes music. Sometimes it's sometimes along the way. For me personally, it almost became too descriptive. It became too much as a too much of a narrative yeah. to the life I was trying to play out. Yeah, and um, it really played out. 
And then, um, but then at the same time now, some of, even now when we're rehearsing, we're rehearsing together and for this upcoming tour and, um, you know, some of the older songs, of course, when you do, they, they change their meaning as well. We were doing In Your Room now. Amazing. Um, that song for me has always represented something. In the, in the beginning, very dark time. Yeah. Doesn't anymore. It's it's full of light for me. It's a, it's a beautiful... Uh, when, I, when I sing the song and when I get it right and I, it, everything's in the pocket and Martin's playing and I, I just... It's like I'm I'm walking on air. It's different to what it was when when the song was out and when at the particular time I remember making the video and everything. And, yeah. Uh, um, back then you were just thinking like in your room. I wanted to get back <laughs> in my room. I, wa- I wanted to get Six back and in three my at the little crown room. Pl- at the Crown my, Plaza in Leeds. No, it was a little blue closet in my house that I wanted to get back into yeah, and shut it, the door yeah, and it. light a candle and stay there all day. And stay there all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this album to me is. Can, can unlock so much going forward from a live show perspective because like I said, there's so much, so many different tempos and moods. I think about a song like don't say you love me. That's a classic Depeche mode moment of moving into a tempo and a rhythm and a feel that only you can do and stay Depeche mode without think people thinking, Oh, they've gone fucking full waltz here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's very Scott Walker. I mean, it's all a bit, very it's, Scott yeah, it's Walker. Got, and, uh, to me, it's this beautiful torch. I love those kind I of love songs. That I love that song. I'm, I mean, you know, it's like, it's, you know, in a movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, well, and wrote the song with actually with Richard. Yeah. Uh, with, yeah. With who? With Richard Butler. It's like, like first, oh my God, fucking mirror moves, Mr. Fucking mirror moves. Are you serious? <laughs> I wrote four of the songs on the album with Richard. That's amazing. Which is something I've never done before. You know, work with somebody outside the band. Cover me. <laughs> you're in the band. Yeah, yeah, true. You're in the band. By you, the way, you count. you're hey, in the band. Dave, 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 did you hear that? Do you hear that? You're finally in the band. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm accepted. Finally. I can talk about so that. Sad. He did it. He made it's the so band. It's so sad. 40 odd years, and I finally feel accepted. Oh my God. Longest audition in pop music history. Um, so, why did you decide to do that, and why did you decide to work with Richard Butler? He reached out to me, um, I think it was around April 2020, you know, the pandemic had hit, and he just texted and said, we should write some songs together. Wow, I love that. And he, he's actually, he actually said that to me once before, like, I don't know when it was, like 10 years ago or something, and nothing ever came of it. But, you know, we were in the pandemic. I thought, uh, if, if I'm going to try and do something different, now's a good time to experiment. Yeah. yeah. So we did, we just started writing songs together, and... Um, we ended up writing six that I really liked and I thought it would be a waste to use them as a side project. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cause me and Richard could have like just, you know, made an album together. Yeah. I carried, you know, written another few and, you know, put it out as an album, but I think they would have just been lost. Yeah. And I, so I called him and I said, this might sound a bit crazy. I said, but what do you think about me using the songs for Depeche? And he said, yeah, I, I love Depeche. 
Yeah. <laughs> and also, well, otherwise it would have been psychedelic mode. So I think. I'll take that's, good. that's good. That's good. You still got it. Still that's got good. That you still got it. Yeah, but you know, I don't want to speak for for someone like that who's given us great joy throughout our lives as well. But um, maybe I think that might have been the answer. I think it was. A for, I didn't know this, you see, yeah. and I didn't know this immediately. I yeah. knew Martin had been writing with Richard during the, the pandemic. I knew they'd been writing together, but. Uh, when Martin first sent me a few songs, I think uh, probably maybe Caroline's Monkey was one of those. I don't yes. know if Ghosts Again was one of the first ones. I think I might. Yeah, I must have sent that was one of the first ones. Surely mm. that was. But, uh, it, but well, when I heard that song in particular, Ghosts Again, I, I first of all I was like, okay, I'm in. You know, this is <laughs> this is this is. It, it made me feel instant joy. The demo. I, I felt like I remember dancing around my, my, my living room and my daughter sort of coming in and she was like looking at me weird, like, what's going on? I was like, don't you love this? This is just, <laughs> just it? she kind of was like, like bopping along with me and she was like, no, I get it. It's a really good song. And Martin, when you send but, that song to Dave, do you, <laughs> do you know at this point that something's got to connect with Dave? This isn't a given. This isn't going to yeah, be. It's, a, all, it's always. It's never, it's never, yeah, it's it's never always a given. It, it's always, yeah. uh, you know, one of those kind of like uh, tough moments when you have to present your songs for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, like today, really now, to, I mean, I would have been presenting them to Andy as well, obviously, yeah. but yeah. but um, obviously, and you know, Andy passed away just like literally days before I was about to send him the songs. Yeah, you get, uh, unfortunately, you never got to hear anything, uh, but. Um, yeah, that's one of the very, very sad parts about it because he used to love getting the songs. It's but, funny, but, you know, we're, life is just, um, I, and I've learned this myself in recent years, you know, life has other ideas and, you know, we, we live in this very short period of time in our youth where we think we can control it and it's really... Invincible. Imp- invincible. And it's an important part mm-hmm. of the journey, you know, and then eventually things come along and you got to stick and move and adapt and move forward. Um, I was really sorry to hear about Fletch. Thank you. Really beloved member of the band and someone who I hold in the same regard as the two of you and Alan, um, you know, in terms of the the history of the band and what you've given. Full respect to Albert, Fletch was, you know, he was, we were there from the beginning together, you know, fighting over bus fare, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, from the, from the rehearsals in the church home, you know, it's like that, that pretty much remained the same, but, um, yeah. It's hard to describe what that means when there's, like on paper, shouldn't really, shouldn't really be able to get on together or something, you know. But somehow coming together, that's what makes something what it is. No matter what, uh, who who does what. I mean, certainly in Depeche Mode, because it's always unidentified, really, who does what. Yeah. You know, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but everybody had a part and has a part in what that is, whatever group you form around what is the nucleus of the uh, so-called band. So can we help to help fans like myself to understand with a little more definition the role that Fletch played through those years because we've talked about the letting go of the writing and the challenges of having to let others in, which now has you co-writing with people who aren't even in Depeche Mode. (laughs) We talk about the challenges of finding your voice alongside somebody who has such a defined and strong songwriting voice. Mm -hmm. And the two of you have wrestled through that and find yourselves in life now working well together and you're achieving those goals. But I think of Fletch as somebody who is as equal a member of that band, and yet I never heard a Fletch song that I was aware of, and I never heard Fletch out front singing songs like you. 
So what kept him engaged and what do you think from his perspective was his ultimate place in the band? Well, I think I think Dave said this recently that he 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 was the band's biggest fan, and believe it or not, I uh, this I honestly believe that he enjoyed being in Depeche Mode more than me or Dave. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that. you know, he was, he was I mean, the champion of the band. Yeah, I remember when when I moved to Santa Barbara. You know, I'd been living there for like, I don't know, three months or so. And I'd met this, an English friend who ran a bar and it took me like, I don't know, ages. Eventually he said to me, oh, what do you do by the way? And I told him. <laughs> and then he at the bar. Yeah. How can you be here at 1pm every weekday and not have a job? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like called the King's Head or oh, something the, like that. Old King's Road. The yeah. Old King's uh, Road. What is Santa Barbara? He found in paradise a, a little bar called the Old King's Road with an English bloke selling him beer. <laughs> but so, <laughs> I, you know, so it took me maybe like three months or so to like, you know, yeah. let him know what I did. And then... <laughs> Then we uh, were recording Exciter there. Yeah. And so the rest of the band came to town and it, the, um, Andy went into the bar for a drink and he said, he said it, my friend said it was so weird. He said it like, it took me so long to find out what you did. He said, Andy told me after like about a minute. <laughs> Dude, do you know what? Yeah, that's, that's that, because that, it, because that he was so proud of, of what he did. Yeah. He was, he was proud was, of what that, he did. That was first and foremost beyond anything else. Like he would be that guy in the bar telling you what we're doing, how we're doing it, yeah. what's going on, yeah. you know. Talk, you know. No, but he was very sociable and that, yeah. that was a very important thing for us yeah. in the band, you yeah. know. I mean, we're you not. know, we're, we're not really. <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> like him, at least. No, no, no. I mean, he was like you guys a large are more speak life. easy. You're more like after hours and he's more like opening hours, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he's done when but the bar's closed. But yeah. we're, we're not. You're not. <laughs> That's when you guys come alive. Yeah. Right? Let's get 70% of these people out of here and then I'm going to really have a good time. Yeah. And so the adjustment process, I can imagine, was enormous from a personal level. It couldn't be anything else but. But the idea of coming together. It still happens. I mean, yeah, it's still it's going to be a continuous, uh, I think this, we get to actually miss Fletch uh, and grieve him through the process of certainly making the record Mm. um, because his presence was there. I know that sounds weird, but it it was. Mm. And um, it, it continues. We, when we're rehearsing now and when we're doing things, we've been out on a promo trip for a while and doing things. Everything that we do without Fletch is a first. Oh, yeah. That's facts. Everything you do from now on is a, is first. It's the first show is going to be kind of, yeah. you know, we hopefully not, you know, too much. It could be that weird for us you know, being there with the audience for the first time. But don't you feel equipped now through all of the writing and through all of the life, more equipped to be able to just go with that if that's the case you're, you're never you're never really equipped mm-hmm. you, you, you know there's no nothing prepares you for what that that is when you finally walk on a stage anyway whether it was with me and martin and fletch and and mm-hmm. pete and christian you know and now it's gonna just the the four of us um because um it is otherworldly what you what you do anyway when you when you go on a stage and you sing and perform music and 
everybody feels a part of that. It's a moment in time. So that in itself is strange. But we're going to have to, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be something that we think about all the time. Like he's not, Fletcher's not here anymore. Physically, he's not here. You know, it's like... Yeah, he's been just over there on stage. He's always on my yeah, left side. Yeah, he's just over there on the left. And know, I so. look, even now when we're rehearsing often or when we've been doing things, when we did a first TV, we did this TV in Italy called the San Remo Pop Festival and um, just recently. And that was the first time we went on and we performed Ghosts again. And I, it was just... I actually, the whole experience was, for me, felt awful. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but there was, everything about it was wrong. And um, although everybody afterwards said, oh, it was great, it was great, you know, yeah, all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. I, um, I kept thinking about like how strange it felt to not have Fletch behind me on there. And now Christian's playing drums, he's sort of right behind on my sort of shoulder there. So there's something there, but it's totally different. Can I say something that I hope you take in all in the way it's intended, which is we're here. Yeah. We'll be there. Yeah. And everybody is going to be there for you the way that you've been there for us. Like, it's gone one way a lot in this life. Well, the music out, will outlive all of us. So that's, yeah. it, that's and it really will. It. it will outlive all of us. And, and as in the title of the album, Memento Mori, remember yep. that you must die. Yeah. Mortality is all a, of us. 100%. That's how you <laughs> learn to enjoy the experience in the first there place. Very hard lesson to learn as a youth. You have to test those boundaries, huh, Dave? You have to push <laughs> yes. them right to the very Still end. testing, mate. Still yeah. testing. Still you know, not quite sure. I, um, <laughs> I, hope this is, uh, I hope this is round one because I have a lifetime of granular, nerdy <laughs> shit. To ask you, my God. Um, but we covered some some big some big broad strokes today, and I, I want to say thank you genuinely for being such open conversationalists and being open to it. And thank you for making just the most fucking amazing Depeche Mode album. I mean, I said this this morning, and he'll vouch for it. I put on my Cosmos's mind and played it on the show, and I said, who fucking makes this 40 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> who makes this racket? Like, this is fucking unruly shit. Yeah, it's trippy stuff. <laughs> it's trippy stuff. Um, my last question for you before we say goodbye is um, you don't sound like a band who's comfortable in your legacy at all. This isn't an album that you make to to sort of ride it out gently and say, hey, man, we know we know what we've achieved. It's a band that's kicking harder well, than ever before. you got to keep pushing that. you just got to keep... Tr- What's I driving mean, that? Yeah. I mean, we could easily, if we wanted to, just not put out music anymore and just go out and play the hits but that's, oh, that's, there's that's a not spot what we're at about the, there's a spot at the sphere when it opens that has Depeche Mode's <laughs> name on it in Vegas make no fucking mistake when you're ready I'm sure of it yeah. <laughs> that's an easy check and a great in and out of work every day right yeah. hopefully by then it'll be a hologram and we won't even have to be there too <laughs> <laughs> no algorithm will ever move its ass like you move your ass Dave Gahan no algorithm can. That's there's no true god damn it no AI can pick no AI can learn that Right. <laughs> Thank you, Zion. You're welcome, mate. You're welcome. Um, As Christian said, who plays drums with us, he said, uh, "We had." I tell you a quick little story. Yeah. We we did this little gig at the Troubadour a few tours back as a little secret gig, opening gig, and on that evening, because the Stones were staying in the same hotel as us, and we got talking down at Rana Paul to Charlie Watts. Yeah. Oh, bless him. Yeah. And um, he. Said, I'd like to come to a Oh, you see, you play at the Troubadour. <laughs> and um, we, me and Christian were like, Really? 
And so we put him on the guest list. I'm yeah. sure enough, Charlie Watts showed up. Unreal. And it's a little tiny gig. And Unreal. I saw him walk in um, from the stage and what? stand on the side. I saw his what? silhouette. And he stayed for the whole show. And the next day, we were down by the pool at the hotel. And he came up and he said, thanks, you. It was a great show, really good. And he looked at Christian and he said, I'm like you. He said, I've been standing right, standing behind looking at someone's bum for the last 30 <laughs> years as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. I, just, I just will never forget that moment. <laughs> um, let's pick up where we left off some other time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, okay, thank Thanks. you. To hear more interviews just like that one with Depeche Mode, you can press play on the Zane Lowe podcast interview series right here on Apple Podcasts.